My favorite way to unwind and dive into something more fun is June's Journey. The game lets me channel my inner detective and unlock compelling stories, strong female characters, and a mystery I want to solve. If you like true crime podcasts, it's the perfect game to play along while you listen. The Hidden Object Mystery Game will put your detective skills to the test in the roaring 1920s. You play as June Parker as she tries to solve her sister's murder and along the way uncovers family secrets. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Mystery, danger, romance all await you if you download the game now. I'm on chapter four and wondering how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. A gentle and beloved grandfather vanishes without a trace. I want to file a missing persons report. This was not like him to go missing and just to leave his family behind. He was just very sweet and humble and down to earth. He would always go way out of his way to help my sister. She was always a daddy's girl. Investigators must determine if the family is simply overreacting. Does he have to be found if he doesn't want to be? It's not illegal for you just to pack your stuff, get on a Greyhound and go somewhere. But is there more to this missing persons case than meets the eye? A woman had come in with some bloody bedding. Just from the way she acted, I knew there was something wrong. It started looking more and more like there was some kind of foul play. The message that I got was that she was being me. The right police department search warrant. We think we found a human body. Who could do that? What monster could do that? All I could think of was how disgusted I was. December 28, 2017. After the bustling Christmas holiday, all is calm in Federal Heights, Colorado, when a call comes in to the emergency dispatch center at 7.19 p.m. Federal Heights Police and Fire. I'd like to um, uh, either get a wellness check or check on a, on a missing person. The caller is 72-year-old Robert Musak. What's going on? Well. Uh, that's my brother. I, I've been trying to call him for over two weeks, and he's never returned my call. Okay. And this has never happened before? Uh, no, not that I know of. He was very worried and uh, was just adamant that it's unusual for his brother to disappear and not contact family members. Okay, what's your brother's name? William. And his last name? Musak. 
on June 9, 1948, Bill Musak was the youngest of four children. He was just like the guy next door. He was just very sweet and humble and down to earth. In 1968, Bill married his high school sweetheart, Terry Sellers, and the couple settled down in Los Angeles, California. My mom, she always had a good sense of humor and was pretty outgoing. And my dad, you know, he was just generally a good guy. He could joke and, you know, laugh at himself. They just enjoyed each other's company. Soon after their wedding, Bill took a job as a machinist, manufacturing aircraft parts at an aerospace and defense company called Northrop. My parents' marriage was in a, a good place, and, you know, they intended to have kids and build a home together. Their first child, Dana, was born in 1973, and their son, Brian, followed four years later. He was a good dad. When he had free time, he would spend free time with us. We would go out to dinner. Sometimes we'd, you know, go to Disneyland. Bill was especially close to his daughter, Dana, who shared her father's outgoing personality and sense of humor. She made her presence be known to you in the room. She was probably the first person that you would hear. My dad just loved her. She was always a daddy's girl. He always spoke highly of her. She got her first job when she was like 14 years old. And she, you know, always was like very ambitious in that way. And when she wanted to get something done, she would go and do it. For more than two decades, all was well for the Musak family, until 1995, when Bill came home from work with unfortunate news. It was over 25 years that he worked for Northrop, and then in the mid-90s, they were just laying off thousands of people, and the department that he worked in was one of those departments. Bill and Terry's marriage couldn't survive the blow. That was kind of like the breaking point, and so they just decided to get divorced. My dad, I think he was just kind of going through a really deep depression at that point, and just, he was just having a tough time with it. Shortly after his divorce, Bill decided it was time for a change. He told my sister Dana and I that he was moving to Colorado. He was gonna go stay with his brother and just, I guess, try to get back on his feet. After moving to Colorado in 1996, Bill took a job as a hospital security guard and bought a home in Federal Heights. In his spare time, Bill wasn't one to have idle hands. His hobby was to, to work on projects, you know, at somebody's house, a family members, or friends, you know, that maybe needed some type of home improvement project. When I bought my house, he started coming over and helping me make it accessible and built my patio. I know how to do all that stuff, but being in the wheelchair, I couldn't do most of it. And he would never take money. He just said, you know, keep beer in the fridge and and buy pizza, and I'm happy about that. He loved doing that stuff. While Bill was enjoying his new life in Colorado, his daughter Dana was struggling back in California. By the age of 26, Dana had cycled through a series of clerical jobs and had two marriages end in divorce. There was a big shift in her personality. She just, after that, seemed to be more of a, of a bitter personality and just more negative, more pessimistic about things. 
Just like her father, Dana was ready for a change. Dana was just working in offices. It wasn't something she wanted to do forever. And so she had a friend that was a massage therapist and kind of knew all the, you know, all the things you needed to do to, to do that. Dana completed a massage therapy program and started her own practice. She liked to work with essential oils and she concocted her own little mixtures for, you know, sore muscles and achy joints. And I know she was really into, into that. But by her late 20s, Dana wanted more than a career change. She wanted a new start. She decided to go move out there to Colorado and be closer to my dad. He was probably very happy about it, you know, because I know they were always really close. Just two years after the move, Dana built up a thriving business. Then, in 2002, she met a new man, Joel Jennings, who quickly got Bill's seal of approval. My dad was always very impressed with him. He's a pretty great guy. He's got a really good sense of humor. Uh, he's very mellow. The couple married in 2006, and Dana moved in with Joel. Five years later, they welcomed a little girl. I thought like, wow, Dana's come back around and things have kind of changed where she's not so angry and bitter. I was happy about it. But after eight years of marriage, in June 2014, the happy facade crumbled. Dana said that it was just impossible to live with him anymore. So that got our attention, my dad and I. Her first three husbands, they all seemed like good guys. And it was pretty surprising to everybody each time she would come up with uh, a story about them and wanting to all of a sudden get divorced from them. In their divorce, Dana and Joel split custody of their daughter. Before Joel and Dana even got married, Joel was already buying a home. And by the time they were divorcing, somehow Joel was the one that had to move out and Dana was the one still living in the house. Ultimately, I believe Joel got a lawyer and so Dana moved out. She lost uh, the house and her massage business went under. A year after the couple split, Dana found herself in a fourth marriage, this time to a man named Chris Newton. They just went to City Hall and got married, and they weren't doing very well financially. And so my dad, you know, he had a two-bedroom house and it had a finished basement, and uh, he was just living alone. So they, they asked my dad, you know, in 2015, if they could move in with him, and he agreed to it. Bill moved into his basement, while Dana, her daughter, and Chris moved into the upper level. My dad thought it would be beneficial for him, too, because at times when he would leave for a week or two to go visit, you know, somebody out of, out of state or something, he could have them there at the house. And then plus he's helping his daughter and his granddaughter, so he felt good about that. Although Dana, her daughter, and Bill seemed to be enjoying the new arrangement, Chris was not. So a couple months later, around November of 2017, I talked to Dana on the phone a little bit, and she started telling me that her and Chris were having problems, and they're just their marriage is falling apart. Devastated that after just three years, her fourth marriage was heading for divorce, Dana once again leaned on her father for support. Everybody in this world has one person in their life that is the person that they go to whenever they're in trouble. Bill was Dana's person. Bill loved her. 
But in December of 2017, Dana's support system seemingly disappears. Bill's brother, Bob Musak, has alerted the Federal Heights Police Department after not hearing from Bill for weeks. Missing person cases are not that unusual. We have them all the time. So this guy's probably on vacation somewhere and just didn't tell his family. It's not illegal for you just to pack your stuff, get on a Greyhound and go somewhere. But Bob insists his brother's lack of contact warrants action. This was not Bill Musak um, to go missing and just to leave his family behind. It was so out of character. It didn't mesh. It wasn't right. That was the red flag. Coming up, police are dispatched to Bill's house. This was adding up to more than just your run-of-the-mill missing person case. Will a surprise witness send the search in a dark direction? The amount of blood, it would have been something getting dismembered. After a concerned phone call from Bob Musa, Patrol officers in Federal Heights, Colorado, are dispatched to check on his brother, 69-year-old Bill Musa. After a few knocks on Bill's door, officers are greeted by his daughter, 44-year-old Dana Jennings. Hi. Hi, yeah, we're trying to reach William Musak. Um, he's my dad. He doesn't really live here. He just has some stuff here and comes by every now and then. She said that it was normal for him to be gone and that there was really nothing suspicious going on. I guess it would be your uncle was calling about him? He lost his phone, I know that, and I found it and put it by some mail that I have for him here, but he hasn't come by for, it's probably been about 10 days, I would think. So about he'll probably days. be coming by soon to pick up his mail and stuff like that. That happens all the time. You show up at someone's house and say, hey, you know, we need to talk to so-and-so. They're like, oh, they're on vacation. We'll have them call. I mean, I think your uncle's probably out of the loop, so. OK. Um, yeah, I'll shoot a text. I know I have my uncle's number somewhere. So the officers left and never recontacted brother after he made the initial report. Usually that would end it right there. Despite Dana's seemingly logical explanation, Almost immediately, police hear from another member of Bill's family, his son, Brian. I would talk to him probably five or six days out of the week. You know, sometimes there'd be a, maybe a day here or there that would go by, but we pretty much always kept contact with each other. There's just no reason why he would just disappear like that. It was very upsetting because we didn't know what the heck was going on. We were over here in California, a thousand miles away. We didn't want to tell too many people about what's going on because we didn't know what was going on. Minutes after police talk to Brian, Bill's brother Bob calls again. I actually got an officer complaint from the uh, brother who had uh, called my office to say that the officers never got back in touch with him. I want to file a missing persons report. I don't know what the deal is, but I'm, I'm, we're just suspecting that something's wrong. That's all I know. When you start getting those multiple calls like that, this was adding up to more than just your uh, run-of-the-mill missing person case. On December 29th, officers returned to Bill and Dana's house. The night shift officers obviously weren't there anymore. So Officer Barrant went out and made another contact with Dana. I go straight to the house and uh, knock on the door and waited a little while. And uh, 
She she answered to me through the door. Police department. Hi. Hi. Where's your dad at? Um, I'm not sure. He only comes by every couple of weeks and picks up mail and stuff. He's been spending a lot of time up in the mountains with a girlfriend or friend like that. She said that he had left a couple weeks prior, that he had actually left his phone at the house um, and told her that he was going to the mountains to go camping with his girlfriend. You don't have an address or... I don't. I don't even know the girl's last name. Um, I know her name's Martha. That's, that's all he's ever te texted me about or talked okay. to me about. Something inside me said that I needed to not only talk to Dana, but get into that house. Maybe maybe to set my own mind at ease, as well as the family's. Do you mind if I come in and check and make sure he's not here? He's, yeah, it's a mess. <laughs> I, I don't care. <laughs> That's fine. As soon as you walked right in the door, you could smell something. It stunk. I haven't been able to do anything, and we had a toilet overflow in the basement. Oh. Dana Jennings told him that the toilet had flooded and backed up, um, and that was the smell of sewage. The house was incredibly cluttered. You couldn't even walk through without stepping on things, clothes, other items. Dana says her father left behind his white pickup truck. I noticed that all his cars were there, or there was three cars at the house at the time. The truck was there. How does he usually get to where he's going? Um, he has cards, but he asked me to take have my friend's mechanic come by and pick up two of them to work on. So um, sometimes the girl he's staying with comes and picks them up. She said he disappeared with his girlfriend, and I don't know her, and I don't know where he went. Where's his room? Does he have a room here? Not really. No? No. OK. He'll sleep on my massage table when he's here. The massage table was covered in clothes, and they were piled probably about two to three feet high. It's his house. For him to sleep in the Lazy Boy or on the massage table in the middle of a living room is kind of odd. Officer Barant searches for any sign of Bill's whereabouts. William's personal items didn't appear to be in the home anymore. He didn't see any evidence that Bill was still living there and really didn't see any signs that, that Bill had been there recently. All right, well, I guess if he shows up, have him call. Do you have a, should I call somebody specific or just call um, the police department? Have him call his brother. Okay. And call the police department. Officer Barant leaves the residence with an ominous feeling. It was starting to, to snowball for me where I was starting to get a little bit different feeling. When he got back to the PD, he wrote up his report, and then we talked about it. And you know, he's like, I just didn't feel comfortable. There's something going on. I tried to assume that, OK, what's the worst case scenario we're dealing with here? We ran Bill through our computer system through CCIC and CIC to see if he'd been stopped or arrested anywhere. We started checking hospitals. We weren't able to find anything. As days pass with no sign of Bill, the likelihood of finding him unharmed dwindles. I truly felt that today he had met some foul play. We put out bolos looking for this individual. Then on January 3rd, the bolo pays off with a tip from a nearby police force. 
the Northcombe Police Department had contacted me and said that Northcombe Police got contacted by a laundromat owner that said that a, a woman had come in with some bloody bedding. According to the North Glen detective, the suspicious event happened on December 8th, right around the time Bill was last heard from. We contacted the manager of the laundromat. We identified who we were and that we wanted to know what their employee had seen and what was said. Uh, they actually called the employee and we talked to the employee. Someone had washed a bunch of blankets that possibly had blood on them and shoes that had blood on them. And because of the amount of blood on the uh, clothing and their shoes, there would have been something getting dismembered. This much blood on a laundromat was very suspicious. Coming up, did Bill fall victim to something sinister? It just really hit me that he was probably dead somewhere. Or has he been in hiding all along? According to her, Bill has returned. It just would be unbelievable. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Detectives in Federal Heights, Colorado, have just received a potentially crucial tip six days into the missing persons investigation of 69-year-old Bill Musak. The tipster claims to have seen blood-soaked linens at a local laundromat around the time of Bill's disappearance. We were able to obtain a video uh, from the security camera in a laundromat of, of the individuals involved in that. The video wasn't really great, you couldn't tell, but it didn't match anybody that we'd interviewed. We weren't able to identify any of them. Once we started looking at it, we could link nothing back to our case whatsoever. I didn't want to leave those stones unturned, but this is just a, one of those random occurrences that happened to happen in the middle of our investigation. So we turned it back over to Northland and let them run with it. Investigators circle back to a potential lead that Dana brought up in an early conversation. 
Perhaps Bill's rumored girlfriend, Martha, had something to do with his disappearance. She said that he had gone to the mountains with his girlfriend. Who knows? Bill could have been at Martha's house with her. And just, you know, for whatever reason, I don't want to have contact with people right now. We were able to get Martha's phone number from Bill's niece. When investigators track Martha down later that day, she says she hasn't seen Bill and sets the record straight on the nature of their relationship. Dana had believed that William was actually with Martha. Martha kind of confirmed that, no, they weren't together. They were just really good friends. They weren't actually dating. Um, they were just, they worked together, and they would go do stuff together. She owned a property in the mountains, a five-acre property that was like a campground. You know, they could go up there and go camping at any time. But Martha says they hadn't been camping in weeks. In fact, Martha hasn't heard from Bill since early December. Martha had reached out to William about joining her for a Christmas party. December 9th was the day of the Christmas party. And uh, Bill's a punctual, reliable guy. He didn't show up, and he didn't call Martha. She indicated he was not in regular communication with her anymore, and that it was out of character for him. After sitting down and talking to Martha, we were able to say, no, he's not there. He's not in the mountains with Martha. Officers decide to return to Bill's house and make contact with Dana again. I did go back a second time, and I asked her, do you mind filling out some written statements so that we can maybe figure out where Bill has gone? And she said she'd fill them out and call me back on a later date. And we asked, you know, have you talked to, to Bill at all? And she said she left the rent money on the counter and it was missing. So he must have come back to the house. During that time, according to her, Bill picked up his phone. Detectives find Dana's statement hard to believe. If you go pick up your phone that you haven't had in two weeks, what's the first thing you're going to do? Turn it on, see who's been trying to contact you, put out whatever fires you can, and then go about your life. Well, it hadn't happened that way. Suddenly, Dana tells police she can't provide any further information and that she's tired of fielding questions. Miss Jennings was very abrupt with Officer Brown, you know, kind of perturbed that he was there in the first place. She said, I don't know where dad is type of thing. I'm tired of waking up to the cops knocking at my door. So I left it at that and we left. With Dana refusing to help, police reach out to Bill's other family and friends. On January 6th, 2018, they meet in a conference room at City Hall. You had people sitting all around the table, and it kind of just went round table about what they thought was going on. Our goal was to get as many names and as many other places that Bill could be at. We were trying to build that web of who Bill might know and to set that timeline and figure out who had talked to him last, who had actually physically seen him last. Brian, Bill's son, shared the text messages that him and his dad had had in the days previous to him going missing. Brian says when his dad last spoke with him on December 7th, he talked about falling into a deep sleep during one of Dana's massages. It was just really odd because he knocked out and like, like he fell asleep and he said that he woke up a few hours later, and he was, I guess, on the massage table still. And then he got up to go sit in his chair, and he felt really groggy. According to Brian, 
Bill said he had asked Dana to pick up some food. Dana brought him a burger and a shake, I remember him saying in the text message. And he said, all I remember is taking a bite of the burger, and then he just fell asleep. And he said the next thing he knew, he woke up the next day, 15 hours later. And he said, I don't know if Dana drugged me or what. I thought that was really weird. Anytime you have an older individual talking about being drugged by his daughter, yeah, that's a huge red flag for us. Brian also shares that there have been problems between Dana and her father in recent months. My dad, I could tell, wanted to help Dana out, but I could tell that he was not happy. Dana had taken over the house. Dana really could never make the rent. I got the feeling that he kind of regretted it, having them living there. Brian says Dana was also unhappy with the living arrangement. She was saying that he was emotionally abusive and that I would say, well, how is he emotionally abusive? And she'd say, well, we'd you know, get to an argument over something. And then he would just like walk away from me and stop talking to me. And then he wouldn't talk to me all day. And I'm like, OK, that's not emotional abusive. That's him not wanting to escalate the argument. Bill's sister says she hasn't spoken with Bill since before Thanksgiving. But on December 29th, she received a picture of the mountains from his phone. It was just a, a, a random picture without any context or any other statements. Bill's friend John says that Dana is convinced her father is in Arizona. She said, oh, he stopped by a few days ago and picked up the rent check. And now he's in Arizona at a friend's property enjoying the sunshine. We talked to family. Hey, does he know anybody in Arizona? Does he, you know, does he have any friends in Arizona? And we were told he didn't. Still, detectives refused to leave any stone unturned. We contacted his phone subscriber and asked them to do an emergency ping on his phone. They were able to tell us that the last time that his phone was used was on December 29th. It didn't ping in Arizona. It pinged near his house. The discovery is a grim indication of Bill's fate. It just really hit me that he was probably dead somewhere, that something horrible did happen to him. From that day forward, Federal Heights started suspecting um, that there had been a crime committed. They then started looking at Mr. Musick's bank records. We found that there was hyperactivity on his bank accounts, that there were cash withdrawals from his account. The bank even noted that the signatures on the checks were not matching the victim's signature. They were all filled out by uh, Dana and the daughter. The discovery, combined with her behavior during the investigation, lands Bill's daughter at the top of the suspect list. Well, it was a red flag. OK, his bank account's being used. Miss Jennings over here didn't seem really concerned about what had happened to her dad. Any other son or daughter is going to be at least trying to help in some ways. But Dana had given a bunch of different stories, and things weren't adding up. Somebody said, do you think she did something to him? And I was like, I don't think she would do something like that. It just would be unbelievable. Coming up, theories begin to bubble up in Federal Heights. What do you think happened to Bill? I think Bill's dead. And a search warrant leads to a gruesome discovery. You could not stay in a house without some type of face mask or something.
After uncovering incriminating evidence, Federal Heights investigators believe Dana Jennings knows more about her father Bill's disappearance than she's letting on. Bill's family couldn't agree more. We're starting to get very heavily suspicious of her. We all can't trust Dana because she's telling us all different stories. Every time we would kind of get her cornered with her excuses, she'd come up with some other excuse and kind of weasel out of it. For more insight into Dana and Bill's relationship, detectives interview a fresh face, Dana's third ex-husband, Joel Jennings. What do you think happened to Bill? I think Bill's dead. We were kind of shocked by that. I was like, whoa, you know, okay, this is interesting, you know. I think there was some sort of impropriety. I can't tell you if Bill was murdered mm -hmm. or if Bill died mm -hmm. and was disposed of for financial gain. And you're saying that Dana is the perpetrator of that? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think. Dana is a very passionate person. Mm -hmm. It is not out of the realm of how what I know of her to do something in the rage or passion. Joel says that 2017 had been a particularly difficult year for Dana. We'd learned that Dana's business had recently uh, gone, gone out of business. She hadn't worked since the beginning of December, I'm pretty sure. We'd learned that Chris Newton, her current husband, had left at the end of November, right around Thanksgiving. The message that I got from Dana was that she was being me. She seemed to have that mentality, kind of just bitter, and just everybody's against her. How was, how was her relationship with Bill? The, the time that I knew her, dating, married, and afterwards, I always felt it was pretty good. Okay. Um, like, she really adored her father. I felt like she held the belief that he was the only person that would love her forever unconditionally. However, Joel says that with Dana, things could change in an instant. Like I said, she was impulsive and unpredictable. The way he explained Dana was, she either loved you or hated you. You were either the best one day or you were scum of the earth the next. And it, there was no in-between. Once you do something to cross the line of, you know, like not showing unconditional love, or that pissed me off, then I hate you, go away. You're the worst person ever. Had a fallout between father and daughter ended in deadly consequences. We decided we need to get into the house and take a look, because obviously the daughter's not being cooperative. Investigators take their suspicions to a judge and secure a search warrant for Bill's house. We suspected that something bad had happened to Bill. But we had no idea. That search warrant of the house was the only step left, you know, other than just putting it into a cold case. On January 10th, 2018, police execute the search warrant. We explained that we are executing a search warrant that she can't be in a house. We played the very cordial, hey, you know, we're just here, we're looking for your dad. You know, we, would you mind coming down to the police department, help us out? She was very jovial. She joked, she laughed with us. Um, she didn't seem concerned. 
Just before escorting Dana to the station, Detective Payne instructs his team to keep him updated. I said, if you find something, text me. Send me a text message, because I'm going to be in this interview, and I'm not going to be able to answer my phone. At 11 AM, police and CSIs enter the residence. Federalized Police Department search warrant. We have a horrendous smell in the house. This is unbearable. You cannot stay in a house without some type of uh, face mask. Some of the more seasoned detectives were like, oh, yeah, that's, that's decom. Police trace the source of the stench to an isolated area in the basement. It was actually behind a board that had been placed across the entrance to the crawl space. We get in there, start looking around, and find a slab of concrete that obviously a very amateur job. We had the fire department come in, and they brought in their hammers and saws and so on to start breaking apart that concrete. While police get to work at Bill's house, Detective Burke Payne and DA investigator Patrick Ness sit down with Dana at the police department. We explained to Dana she wasn't under arrest. The door was unlocked. She was free to leave. It was definitely our thought process to keep her talking as long as we can. I'm trying to learn about him so that maybe I can figure out where he's at, you know? Does he have to be found if he doesn't want to be? Or am I going to continually be talking to the police until he's down there? Well, we need to, you know, we, we need to resolve this. Investigators cut straight to the point. She was very jovial through the entire thing. There wasn't a point in the interview where she like, okay, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> Back at Bill's house, Firefighters finally cut through the concrete slab in the crawl space. When the fire department broke the concrete off, the smell was so horrendous. You could see in this concrete, this curled up hand sticking out of this concrete is obviously a human hand. At that point, I contacted Detective Payne and told him, we have found a body. I know we were in there a little over an hour, but my phone starts ringing and I look and it's my evidence text. We think we found a human body in the crawl space. So Investigator Ness was also getting the same, we were on the same text message strain. At that point, Ness brought up, what kind of home improvements have you been doing? Why'd you put cement in the crawl My dad's been there? putting cement down there, and Your I- Your dad's not here. No, before. And I've been adding to it, trying to get it out of the car. So with a broken foot, that's the time that you want to pour concrete? No. See how this thing is just keeps Chris got in the concrete, and-, and We're going to dig that the concrete. Okay. That is where um, investigator Ness really starts pushing more. Did you kill your father? No. Okay. But you did hide his body because he is deceased, isn't it? No. Then investigators show their full hand. And now they're in the process of digging that cement up from what they just told. I'm guessing this is where I need to ask for an attorney. Okay. And it was at that point the interview ended. We arrested her that night for improper disposal of a human body. Dana, we found the body in your house. At this time, you're under arrest for concealing a dead body. You need to stand up. You need to stand up. 
She was very nonchalant about it. It was not a big, really a big deal to her. Coming up, an autopsy reveals a man's final moments. His heart slowed down, he stopped breathing, and eventually he goes comatose. It was unimaginable. Cold-blooded and heartless, plain and simple. Detectives in Federal Heights, Colorado, suspect that a concrete-encased corpse found in a basement crawl space is missing man, Bill Musak. With Bill's daughter, Dana, in custody for abuse of a corpse, the county medical examiner performs an autopsy to confirm the identity of the body. He had had a knee replacement surgery. Uh, the pathologist opened up the knee and exposed the uh, knee replacement. We're able to positively identify Bill at that point. The pathologist didn't notice any blunt force injuries or stab wounds, gunshot wounds, or anything apparent. When standard toxicology tests come up negative, Detectives subpoena Dana's phone and laptop for answers. We did find some suspicious uh, Google searches on December 9th. She was looking up how long it takes bodies to decompose. Detectives also find a Google search for asopromazine. I get back on my computer and pops up, it's a horse tranquilizer. She had done some research online and ultimately ordered the asopromazine from eBay in late November. I called up the coroner's office and I said, we need a test for asopromazine. Ultimately, they found asopromazine in his system. It was a dose that would have been a, an appropriate dose to tranquilize uh, several horses. His respiratory system slows down, his heart slowed down, he stopped breathing, and eventually he goes comatose and then dies. With the murder weapon identified, the charges against Dana are upgraded. Dana Jennings was charged with two counts. One was first-degree murder, and the second count was tampering with a deceased human body. I did not see a lot of remorse from Dana Jennings. The charges bring the magnitude of the situation into focus for Bill's friends and family. All I could think of was how disgusted I was with her. She's cold-blooded and heartless, plain and simple. It was horrible. Who could do that? What monster could do that? And let alone his daughter. It was, it was unimaginable. On July 8, 2019, Dana arrives in court to face the possibility of life without parole. In opening statements, prosecutors claim that Dana had seen her father as an easy way to get herself back on her feet. She somewhere along the line convinced herself that she could make my dad disappear and just kind of step into his life if she could have his home, have access to his money, 
and have him out of there, things, I think, in her mind would have been better. Prosecutors claim Dana bought asopromazine over the internet and laced her father's food and massage oil with a fatal dose of the drug. I haven't come across a case in my career that had this much evidence of deliberation. What we had here was weeks, if not uh, longer, of planning. Though the defense doesn't deny that Dana gave her father the drug, they claim Bill's death was just a tragic accident. The defense's theory was that she had purchased this drug not to kill him in any way, but um, to provide him some assistance with sleeping issues and other things to help him try to relax. This was an accidental overdose. She just simply overdid it. Then afterwards, she didn't know what to do. And admittedly, I think they argue that, yeah, she made a bad choice and, and put the body in the basement. On July 15th, 2019, the jury returns with a verdict. Dana Jennings was convicted of murder in the first degree, as well as tampering with a deceased human body. The only sentence that it can impose is a life sentence without possibility of parole. It was a relief to know that she was not going to be able to be on the outside and hurt anyone. With Dana behind bars, Bill's family and friends are finally able to grieve the loss of a cherished loved one. He did so many great things and made things so beautiful when he did die, that was his legacy. As far as like, you know, truly forgiving Dana for what she, she did, she's not, you know, she hasn't reached out to us in any way, you know, to just even say like, hey, I'm sorry, what I did was, was wrong. You know, there's been nothing of that sort. And uh, I think if, if that happened, that would help significantly in, in forgiving her. I know from my relationship with my dad that he was a good person. And I know that everyone that knew my dad knew that he was a good person. I rest my head easy at night knowing that he's remembered that way by everyone that cared about him. Dana Jennings is currently serving her sentence at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. After Dana's conviction, Joel Jennings was given full custody of the couple's daughter. For more information on Snapped, go to Oxygen.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.